Meanwhile, the princess woke in her castle, after such time as is lost to this chronicle, for such was the evil admixture of enchantments. As she stirred from her slumber, she felt the beat of the castle's mighty legs as they strode steadily along the ground. She heard the clicking and whirring of the tremendous clock through the walls, and out the window as she rose was a beautiful blue sea full of seagulls and rocky cliffs to each side, describing a small protected inlet of water. It was warm, and the spray moistened her face as it had in countless days gone by, in the very same part of her heart that had not been satisfied in the years since she had first left her castle was finally filled again. But with that fullness came now a new emptiness that was worse by far than ever her loss of the castle had been, for she was locked away again now, without a soul to speak to, or the wind to blow through her hair as it had on the clockwork butterfly, or the freedom to leave as she pleased, or, worst of all, without her loving prince to care for and enrich her. She was alone again, and happy though she might be to have her home restored to her, she realized it was no home now, and would never be again, and she wept, for it seemed she would never truly be happy, for her heart would always mourn the loss of what she did not have, and she could not have both her great loves. She was, indeed, spoiled, and she wept because she was spoiled, and because it had taken so long for her to realize how beautiful her life had been since leaving this castle. She wept, and she wished to fall asleep and abandon her sorrows and dreaming, but she already lay under the enchantment of the castle, and she could not. For three days she lay abed, flinging her body from side to side across the pillows in the tumult of her cares, until it seemed sure she would perish of grief. She could no longer bear the prospect of eternity alone as she had before. All those lazy, empty, endless days ahead of her seemed dreadfully full of regret for what she had lost, and more a torment than a gift. She leapt up suddenly, determined to fling herself from the window of her tower and dash out her life on the flagstones below, but at that very moment she heard a jaunty whistling unfamiliar to her, as a lover might whistle in the throes of his infatuation, careless and lilting, and she rose in her curiosity and went to the window to see a strange cloaked woman dressed in embroidered runes and a brilliant blue scarf, sitting casually on the wall as though she had been there all the while. Indeed, this was the very same meddlesome wizard who had started the whole mess, but such was her age and power, originating before the age of man and reaching beyond the boundaries of the earth, that all who saw her fashioned her after their own expectations and desires, and so while the prince had seen a man, old, bearded, and sagely. To her eyes, she was a handsome woman, dressed to her own liking, wearing some years, but easily, and joyful. Hello, she called to the wizard, for she could not possibly fear such a person, much less in her own castle. Hello indeed, the wizard replied. Lovely day, isn't it? Who are you? the princess asked. Just passing by, she replied, tossing into the air a small black stone and catching it again. The princess recognized it as a stone identical to the one she had given her prince. "'What have you got there?' she asked, knowing full well. The wizard considered it a moment. "'A bauble. A trinket. A toy.' She winked. "'But it may yet make you happy, if all goes well.' She nodded. "'If you come down, I'll give it to you.' Cautiously, still in her dressing gown, she climbed down the spiral staircase, stopping at windows to speak to the strange woman, whose voice seemed to carry through the whole castle, 
and who seemed equally able to hear her no matter where she went. "'You're the wizard who made this place, aren't you?' she asked. "'I am,' she admitted, "'but I didn't make it alone. Not much in this world worth anything was made all alone, you know.' "'I would have expected a man,' she added. "'They usually do,' she replied. "'Can you help me? I'm trapped here.' "'You are not!' the wizard replied, as one might chastise a child for complaining unnecessarily. You have everything you need to leave if you like. She paused. Do you like? The princess hesitated on the stairs. I don't know, she murmured. Speak up, I can't hear you over these daft birds, the wizard called clearly through the walls. I don't know, she called louder. I don't know what would make me happy. She peered out the window at the wizard. She still sat on the parapet, idly tossing the lodestone up and down, kicking her dangling feet. "'That's a clever thought,' the wizard replied. "'A lot of people haven't the faintest idea how to be happy, but go on saying they know all the same. At least you're clever enough to admit it.' She got to her feet and began chicken-walking, with knees locked at each step, back and forth along the top of the wall. At alternate steps she tossed the stone and snatched it out of the air with aplomb. Plenty of people are wrong about what makes them happy, but end up happy enough anyway. Rather silly, honestly. But encouraging. She looked at her through the window. Are you coming? Yes, she said, remembering, and hurried down the stairs. Then again, the wizard continued, perhaps happiness isn't all it's made out to be anyway. There are plenty of happy people out there making life miserable for everyone else, and plenty of unhappy people doing plenty of good for others. Who's to say, really? She paused, mid-stride. The stone, too, stopped in midair. What do you think? The mind of the princess was a tangle. I can't very well think and say and run all at the same time. Oh, my apologies, said the wizard, and she caught the stone as she resumed walking. Take your time, she added. At last the princess reached her courtyard and stood looking up at the strange woman perched up on the parapet. She had one hand on the massive iron hook she recognized as belonging to the prince when he'd first come to the castle. She wondered if the rope was still sound. Many years had passed, but perhaps it too was under the enchantment. "'Did you come to a conclusion?' the wizard asked. The princess had forgotten. "'No,' she said. "'Oh, sorry. It must be a luxury of wizards to sit and think about such ridiculous things, little better to do and all. But... Then again, weren't you locked away in this very castle for some centuries? What all did you do? Don't you have anything to show for it? Not really, she admitted. I just looked out the window and watched what was outside, mostly. It seemed suddenly to her that that was all she had ever done, that her whole life had been spent passively observing and attending to things outside that she could not or would not influence, as though she were just a doll in this world to be picked up and carried away by whoever might come along. Even now, she realized, she was just listening to the wizard without making a decision. Was it a result of the enchantment? It no doubt did not help. But she could not blame the enchantment alone. She had chosen to give the prince the lodestone, after all. Perhaps she could have left any time she pleased. She had simply not tried. Suddenly, she thought of the lodestone hanging about her neck. She felt it tugging gently at her, but it seemed divided where it wanted to go. It tended toward the wall where the wizard tossed her stone, and it tended toward the east, where the sun rose, and where she guessed the prince lay, and it tended toward the north, toward what she now realized must be the lonely beach where the prince had cast away the rod. And then, at last, she remembered the key the prince had given her. 
She had set it in her pocket, and she had it still, studded with gems like the great clock on the high tower. Could she use it to stop the great walking castle? And what would happen if she did? Could she ever start it again? What did she want? The wizard did not have to say it now. In fact, she had disappeared. The last lodestone tumbled off the wall and she caught it, as the wizard had, in the air, and she suddenly realized, with vivid clarity, how it was that she could have all she wanted, if it all went well. First, she set the wizard's lodestone in her high tower, under the mattress so it would not be lost. Then she gathered up great handfuls of her own things, dresses cut too thin for her in music boxes whose tunes she knew by heart, and bracelets and necklaces more suited to a paler complexion, and she bundled them together to sell at marketplace. Then she waited, watching from the high tower, as she had all those years before, going from window to window expectantly, not out of idleness, but out of purpose, waiting for a town to appear on the horizon. When at last one did, she rushed down the stairs to the keyhole at the base of the high tower, and, with only an instant of hesitation, turned off the great enchanted mechanism that drove the mighty castle. Around her the great gears spun slowly to a halt, the whirring clock slowed and stopped. Her heart raced, fearful, but she trusted to her luck and to the goodwill of Providence and the design of the wizard that it would one day start again. Then she climbed the high wall, cast her things down to the ground from the parapet, and tried to clamber down the rope to the ground, but her hair kept getting in the way. Frustrated and hasty, she retreated into the castle, grabbed up a knife, and sheared it all off in a single stroke. Then she raised her head high with the weight that had dropped from it. In the mirror she saw that she was nearly unrecognizable from the girl who had lived here only some ten years before. The paleness of her cheeks had been undone by sunshine and travel and frequent trips to the marketplace, replaced now with a healthy glow. Her smooth skin was now freckled and lined, but both smiles and frowns became her well. Her eyes, still golden, no longer sparkled but pierced, clear and cutting, intelligent and insightful. And her long, luxurious hair, once unknowingly burdensome, was now gone, and she felt easily able to run or climb or dance or do whatever she needed or pleased to do to get her way. She had transformed utterly from the porcelain doll in the high tower into a real woman, much like the wizard she'd seen, alive and able, stripped of innocent youth and inexperience, and newly mailed with determination and confidence. She kept the knife. She would need it. She dressed in heavy garments unusual to her wardrobe, a leather jacket, bright blouse, and pants unlikely to stain, all covered with a brilliant emerald cloak against the cold sea winds. Then she climbed down the rope and set off for town.